welcome to My Dog Ate My Email, a podcast all about email from the DMA. I'm your host, Lily Bowiv, and I'm the Director of Client Success at Vuture. Now, I'm not going to actually introduce myself and go into my elevator pitch. If you want to hear that, go back and listen to the very first podcast. Today, I'm joined by my fellow email council member, Steve Kemish, who's the managing partner at Junction Agency. Steve, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you do there? Sure thing. Hello, Lily. Uh, hello, everyone. So my role at Junction means it was a marketing communications agency. We work with lots of organisations on digital, and a key part of that is often email marketing. Um, my background is digital, so I've been working in digital marketing for 21 years, half of that client side, half agency side. And the other thing that I do, the other hat that I wear, is I teach. So for the IDM, which is part of the DMA, I lead on a couple of courses, and one of those is email marketing. Excellent. Thank you very much. What what brands have you worked with on client side, if you're allowed to talk about Ooh, it? Uh, yeah, so a range. Um, Junction predominantly work with B2B brands. So that means we work with quite a lot of technology companies, publishers, education. But we also flirt with consumer as well. So we work with a broadcast company. We work with a couple of fast-moving consumer goods brands. And that's more on the strategic or the CRM side of things. Mm-hmm. So rather than doing the email, it's talking around in the planning. Uh, but myself, over the years, I've worked with uh, the likes of British Airways, with Skype, with Lego, with MasterCard, and a whole bunch of other names that you won't have heard of. The topic for today's podcast, uh, which is all around uh, measuring KPIs and success and, and what that looks like. From from my perspective, like I've been working in the email industry for the last decade, so slightly less than, than yourself, um, but the email metrics that are used haven't actually changed very much no not at all not at all I I think all the time I've been working to be honest the kind of the hero metrics of email marketing um, have always been the same so you know if we were starting with a 101 it's the open rate it's the click-through rate it's the unsubscribe rate the kind of holy trinity of email marketing metrics and if we go back before the open what's our delivery rate although maybe we'll come back to that because it for me is at least one of the fallacies of email marketing that Delivery rate doesn't normally mean delivery rate, um, but we'll <laughs> yeah. park that one for a bit later on in this podcast. It's an interesting debate as to whether they're a key performance indicator, are they a metric or a measure? Uh, and without getting into semantics, those are really, really useful ways of keeping an eye on whether one particular email send has done well relatively to other emails that you've sent like it. But of course, for most organisations that we work with or around that we're in as a, as a collective, it isn't just success because we've got a good open rate or even a good click-through rate. Mm. We've got to then factor in some of those more business-centric measures. You know, if we take uh, online retail, for example, uh, no finance director in that industry gets excited with us marketing people because we've got an open rate of 50%. <laughs> they get excited because the open rate and the click-through rate means that somebody actually bought something. So I think that's the other challenge that we have with email marketing is we can get a bit hooked up into our own slightly... Um, self-serving stats and not be delivering or not accounting for business success mm. I, I think you're right like the, the my biggest problem is really with that open rate because it's it's both a false positive and a false negative simultaneously in that you don't have to necessarily have opened an email for it to register as an open with most ESPs and vice versa. There are many times when I've been scrolling through my emails, probably opened the email, I downloaded the images, didn't actually open the email. I was just trying to find something else altogether. So 
it is a fallible metric Very and much so. unfortunately one that seems to still be the most used as far as the conversations I keep having with companies it is still the one that gets yeah I, I think it's there's always been an appetite for uh, and an interesting broader discussion on this is you know what's good what how do I know my emails are good and actually normally we flock to well what's the rest of the industry doing what's the benchmark which maybe again we can come back to um, I think I, we could I probably do an entire podcast on benchmarks we could do a whole well. series of podcasts <laughs> yeah. on it but, um, and then we'd burn them because they're not very useful yes. as we'll come on to um, <laughs> I don't have a problem with open rate I think it's a really useful thing and when I've worked with organisations or I'm teaching it say look yes you should look at that but use it relatively to the other emails that you've sent that are part of that programme even if you use if an organisation sends two emails and let's say I work with a broadcast company in TV and they will send newsletter emails um, and they also say, send uh, a welcome email, a welcome program. The open rates for those two emails are starkly different. Mm. The, the welcome email is way above 50% open rate. The newsletters are down at probably half that. They're actually, relatively speaking, still pretty strong um, for them. And again, for the industry, you can probably argue they are or they aren't. But the point is it would be very easy for the newsletter team to get disheartened by the fact that that welcome email over there is doubling the open rate. But it has an entirely different purpose. It's an entirely different stage of the journey. And of course, just because they've opened, and I think anybody can fool you or I into opening an email by giving us some kind of salacious, Donald Trump has just resigned. Oh, we a bit line. of clickbait, right? Exactly, <laughs> right? So if we've got that, we can fool people, but you can fool us once and, and that's it. So. Open rates are healthy. It's a good thing to keep an eye on. But mm. we then also want to think about it almost like a waterfall. If you've got an open rate, uh, or an open, excuse me, what comes next? Well, then a click should come. But even then, isn't that's not that's email marketing success, but that's not business success. What happens after the click? Have we got to a landing page? Um, and if we broaden out, actually, you look at best practice testing, the uh, organisation over in the US, Marketing Sherpa, published an, an interesting report on best ROI-based testing. So the things to do with email marketing testing that make the most money, and the single thing in email marketing that they could track was not the email, it was the copy of the landing page. And that makes the point is that actually, just because I've got an opened email and a clicked email, so what? Yeah. What, what happens next? Um, the analogy I use for this is that if, if you're getting married, you need to spend money on the invites for your wedding, right? You need those as part of the budget. But you ask the normal average person, and maybe not some average people, how much they spent on a wedding, £30,000. How much of it did they spend on the invites? A fraction. If you don't have the invites, you don't have the big day, but you wouldn't spend all your money and success on the, on the invites. The, the big day is the wedding. It's the same for email marketing for me, is that the landing page and what goes behind it, that's the success, that's the big day, that's the big moment, because we're gonna make money from that, or we're gonna get a lead, or an inquiry, or a download. We need the open and the clicks, but they are kind, kind of uh, email-centric metrics. We've just got to see that flow through, open click mm. and beyond the click. You probably won't get the visits to the landing page if you don't send the email in the yeah, first, but, or absolutely. at least certainly not as many people. Indeed. I really like that analogy. Well, Do you mind you if I use that. it? You can, to be honest, nothing I've ever said is original. You can borrow and benchmark it as well. I like as that. That's, I think that's... Um, I, I do love using analogies. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, me I too. think it's great, because you, you're right. Like, email, email isn't the sexiest of the of the channels the marketing channels but no. without it 
the amount of web traffic that people get, the amount of revenue that people get, the amount of kind of sales and and publication downloads and and, and whatnot won't be as high because you're actively sending to those individuals. So it's yeah, um, it's sexy is an interesting word for email. I think it's um, and maybe I sit at this seat feeling this this very well is that I've been around quite a long time in terms of digital marketing 20 plus years that doesn't make me sexy that makes me old and that's the <laughs> problem with email marketing is email marketing a bit like display advertising actually they're the two arguably the two founding fathers of digital marketing uh, and some of our kind of newer cousins and, and social media is the one that always comes up at this point it's newer it's faster moving it's therefore uh, more diverse that can make it more interesting and indeed sexier if that's what we think um email's pretty static in terms of the pace of change with email because it's very mature it means that oh, not email it's been around forever but you're right it's the it's the bit that time and time again when you look at return on investment charts for most digital marketing channels email does come back very strongly against other channels now that could also be because if you take Again, online retail, let's take a brand like ASOS. I guarantee if they walked into the room now and said, look, if you just sent an email, what happens? Well, we send emails, we make money. Whereas we work um, with other organizations that sell and perhaps you know, the organizations you and I work for where people don't buy off the page, it's mm. lead generation and, and the lead or the sale might be months or years down the line. And protect, you, know, you guys with professional services with your work hat on, yeah. That could be an offline transaction that takes a year and a half. Yeah. And the email and the open the click here has worked, done its job. It's part of what, again, using analogy, I think it's part of a relay race. You've got that baton, you've yeah. got to pass that prospect or customer down, where we can sometimes get a bit disheartened with email in those B2B markets or where the product doesn't sell off the page very quickly. It's not a £5 book or a £15 pair of shoes, if such a thing exists. It is a more complex, more expensive purchase. We can't measure that this open over here has affected a lead down there that's turned into customer right down the that, path. That's where we get into the kind of more attribution modeling. Very and, much so, and, yeah. And how the different parts of the marketing channels help to completing that conversion. Yep. And, I, and I think that's that's where it gets more challenging. I think it's almost, and I hate to say it, it's probably easier for, for retailers and, and those who have a an immediate action. So, you know, you can buy from the email or, you know, there's a direct ROI from the emails that you send and the money you receive. Yeah, I agree. But with, you know, with some of the companies I work with today and some of the ones I've worked in in the past, like you say, it could be a year. So that one email can be part of a 50 email, like trust building exercise alongside events and and whatnot and so where do you kind of measure the success of that one email can you yeah this is a question can you measure the success of a single email in relation to something that might be worth two million pounds i that's a that's a short answer i think is probably no Right, relatively, back to my point around open rates, we can relatively measure one email success versus the last one that was sent like it. So let's say the last newsletter, if it's a newsletter email, because mm. you can see an improvement or not in the open rate. By the way, let's not forget um, the much unloved unsubscribe rate as well. So that's such a tiny number for most people normally, but that's back to measuring success of an email versus others. Unsubscribe rate for most organisations will be low, maybe, I don't know, 0.5% say. Yeah. Well, when that changes from 0.5 to 
7%, right? Most people, marketers, look at that and they just ignore it. It's such a tiny absolute number. So what? It's, but as a relative number, that's basically 40% spike in your unsubscribe rate compared to your baseline. Mm. And that is a re- always, for me, is a useful indicator of, okay, your open rate might not have changed, but you must have done something that's put people against the grain. Because most of us don't unsubscribe from emails. We just delete things. It's just easier to just delete rather than unsubscribe. So yeah. I think those measures are a good one for email to email. The Can we measure email an individual email for a a lead that a year later closes to a million pounds or dollars. To be honest, we know we can't. it can't be so because you and I wouldn't be sitting here in a nice office in London recording a podcast. We'd have both bought ourselves a private island called Australia and we'll be that living be there. Amazing. So, and But I think that problem, the attribution one, is not an email-specific one. Any, you know, the real challenge of marketing is, uh, and I think it was Wanamaker that said, I know 50% of my advertising is working, 50% is not, I just don't know which half it is. Yeah. You know, that's the challenge is we, we need that multi-touch, multi-channel of emails and events and other digital means, traditional TV, out of home, whatever it might be in our mix, that we we have faith is taking people in the right direction. Mm. That's the I have trick. actually, interestingly, only one time in my entire career has a purchase of that magnitude happened off the back of one single email and it was with a a real estate company that uh, sent out an email they were selling some brand new um, condo apartments on the Thames and it was like a penthouse apartment and they sent one email and then they got someone to purchase the apartment and it was for something like three or four million pounds or something like that oh, I forget what it was you know what it's the one and only time I've ever experienced it but yeah it's 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 I think it's really hard to, to, to measure that there's a good point in that though that I think if you are listening to this and you're doing email and you're not close enough to the sale that close that it is a bit disheartening you go well okay open and click so what and that's often why I think businesses management say well go and find me a benchmark then because if we can't work this out if your open rate of 25 percent uh, you've improved it from 20-25%, so what? What's the rest of the industry looking like? That's, I think, our lots of businesses have an appetite for averages and mm. benchmarks. Um, it, I think it comes back to the action. So if ultimately you're trying to generate a lead, let's say, or an, an inquiry, or a download, or a registration, then I think you could put some kind of financial value on that action. So let's say that if somebody downloads um, a report that you've promoted in your email that's not going to sell something for you but you can say right well actually that report is worth x in terms of value Um, or if you get somebody to register for something the data that they give you might be valuable to the business and and I think I've seen that with organizations that have thought about the ongoing value of data gathering or insight gathering if we can get a thousand people to complete a survey how much would that have cost us over here if we'd have done it traditionally via a normal research means. Yeah. Um, completely lateral example, but I've just taught um, an organization that are very famous for for glasses and contact lenses, right? And then their primary objective with email was to cut the cost of direct mail. We've traditionally used direct mail to target a lot of our core audience. It's costing us, let's say, a million pounds. If we can implement email, uh, £200,000 and deliver the same or even slightly less um, response and that would happen in store 
that's the, the saving. So it's not always making money. Sometimes it's saving money. Yeah, it's on, on the flip side. Yeah. I think, kind of, and just partially coming back to your point about unsubscribes and how, because it's such a small percentage, that it can often be ignored by marketers. Um, one of the ways that I often like to position the importance of it and also the importance of overall engagement is looking at the value of an email address. And, and there are countless ways that you can work out the value of an email address and I've, I've seen probably hundreds of different variations of it but ultimately by working out the value of one email address you can work out the total value of your entire database and therefore work out if you have someone who's unsubscribing you are quite literally losing money from that pot and so to go from a 0.5 of a percent to 0.7 of a percent, you know, f- depending on the size of your average order, that could be a significant amount of money, especially when you get into like with retailers who perhaps have quite a few more in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I always like to position that to our clients. And, and as you say, if you put a value on a registration or a, or a form download or, or a, a content download or a form upload or whatever it might be, then you can start to amplify the value of an email address. In fact, I worked with a financial services company that did a quite a complicated version of this where they worked out their average value of an individual that is in their database. And then from that value, they said, if they engage more, they are worth more to the business. And they managed to have these this really complicated and quite convoluted way of managing the value of their database. But they were able to track that database value month in, month out for about a year. Mm-hmm. So when you had when they were trying to convince their CFO to get some more budget for their marketing, they were able to show that actually by doing this activity over here, they were able to increase the overall value because that created more engagement, more downloads, more registrations, and ultimately more conversions. Mm. And yeah. this was a B2B company. It wasn't... It, you well, know. It's, it's interesting. I think um, it's such a good idea. And thinking of a... Cons- finding... What we're getting at is finding ways to show the value of the email marketing you're doing. And indeed, yeah, really good point around the database. I mean, it's not so long and... You know, we sit here now in a post-apocalyptic GDPR world where <laughs> yeah. May the 25th ticked round and everything seems to be about the same, except for the fact a lot of databases have shrunk because they are now back to quality rather than quantity. Um, and that's good because it means uh, some organisations I know, their email open rates and click-through rates, their key day-by-day measures have gone up yeah, because they've got less people that are not interested in them in their database. But the value bit, if you, you're absolutely right, if you could work out the value of an email address um, to the business, you can then also compare it to other channels. So uh, I've just worked with a consumer brand where they are very heavily uh, obsessed with social media, so Facebook. And I, I'm, a, I'm an agnostic marketeer. I've got no problem with any channel as long as it's relevant to the audience. So I'm not, nor are you, Lily. It's not a propaganda march for emails brilliant. It's but it emails... Is. Yeah, it's brilliant, <laughs> but when it's the best of option, course, right? Yeah. So, um, but they in the in their social media team would measure uh, engagements uh, in terms of how many people had liked or commented or shared a particular post. And although they had a similar number, let's say round maths, hundred thousand in their email database, about a million on Facebook. What we found with email when we turned on email for them, which they didn't really use because it wasn't cool or sexy to use your word, 
they were getting a, somewhere like a 40% open rate and about 5% click-through rate. And basically, they were getting more engagements via that email than they were getting from their much bigger social media program at a much higher cost. So it's not always tracking an email has got an exact, as we've talked about to start with, of some outcome and action like sell a pair of shoes or register for an event or inquire to become a lead. Could be just that engagement metric that's used elsewhere. Mm. and that you're ending up measuring email for something like social or display or others. Now, I'm, I'm not keen on kind of petting channels as competitive with one another. I think, again, back to my kind of relay race, it's good to be a team player. And that's where email's particularly strong in this day and age with, with all the marketing technology that's out there now, um, particularly marketing automation, which isn't really marketing automation, as we, as we know, but for those of you sitting here going, marketing automation, does that mean I'm going to lose my job? No, it's just going to help you do more sophisticated email and follow-up email in the main. Um, it allows you to trigger in messages. So the retailers, back to those that send emails and sell things are great, but the ones that are really great are the ones that recognise Lily's opened the email, she's clicked, she's got to the landing page, product page, she's got to the shopping basket and stalled. That's where a friendly little abandoned basket email comes through and that's technology as you and I and everyone on this podcast knows but to the average consumer they just see that as really helpful yeah and and that's what I think email is really good at now with the technology if you if you audit where you are in the journey then you plug in the little nudge emails or the little helpful reminders then it suddenly doesn't sound like or feel like you're selling but the conversion rates, the metrics of that campaign go up because that one little, oh, Lily, don't forget to buy or you might want to act fast, we've nearly sold out or all those great bits of language and messaging that we know as marketers we can use to just nudge and uh, push people in the direction that we want. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm a self-professed email geek for sure. We're in good company then. Very, very, uh, very much an email geek. However, I am under no illusion that email on its own doesn't really work no. and it can't work in isolation because Not where do those calls to action go they go to a website what is it that gets you sign ups in the first place it's the website and i think this is i guess this is a question is that there's a, there are a lot of email marketers that just look at email stats mm-hmm. but they've got to look at those email stats and those metrics alongside everything else that they do and the context in which they are used and actually those marketers and those companies that one use multiple channels and use them well and use them together and then also track the results of those cha- those channels together are the ones that are going to be the most successful yep yeah um, and commercially successful rather than look yeah. at my open rate Lily, yeah exactly and because uh, that's ultimately what they're looking for is is mo- in most cases obviously not every case it's it's revenue yeah. Are, are we making it, money? It's a really good point with B2B as well, because you talk to the average salesperson um, in business to business, uh, and as marketeers, we sit here going, what do salespeople want? Leads. They want leads. They don't. They want sales. They want sales. <laughs> yeah. They accept leads because that's part of the process. But again, that baton, that handoff for a different purpose for sales and marketing. As a marketeer, my life is much better with my sales colleagues if I deliver them value. Um, so there's another audience there. Well, yeah, you hand them a lead that's ready to to sign on the dotted line. They're going to love you much more than handing them a lead that hasn't been warmed up at well, all. Well, or indeed it's not a lead. Uh, well, lead yeah. My email. Here's someone phone. that I found on LinkedIn randomly without. Well, any not kind of, someone. Yeah. She's opened the email. <laughs> yeah. But back to your point earlier with tracking, 
because email tracking for opens can be a bit flawed because of it basically uses a small, small image hidden in the email to work out whether you've opened. Um, that's the act of opening an email, download all the images that make this email. If you're offline or you've got images turned off, which I think for Outlook and Gmail uh, and Outlook for B2B is still a concern, Gmail is a big consumer email product. Yeah. The first email you get from somebody when you've signed up, if it's relying on images, they may not see them. And also from a tracking point of view, if their images aren't turned on because they've not ticked that little box, we don't know whether they've opened it. So Lily may or may not have opened the email and then a salesperson on the phone saying, hey Lily, do you remember that email that I sent you yesterday? And I don't know about you and I don't know about anyone else that's listening in, but I have no idea what emails I received yesterday. They're very disposable in terms of life moments. And, and you can check this with anyone. Just ask anybody how many emails they got yesterday and then to tell you what they were. Unless it's an email from their boss, they probably yeah, won't remember. Their boss or their ex-partner or somebody like that. That's uh, yeah. you know. But otherwise, yeah, the email's very disposable, and that's it is what it is. It's not a bad thing. And I always say to students I work with, it's a real positive. Most people that do email marketing are not email marketeers. They're marketing people that do email amongst lots of other things. And although we all know there's lots of things we can do, best practice for testing and optimization reality bites that we've just got to get on with other things and if we can get the email out by two o'clock so our boss doesn't kill us we've done okay mm. whereas because most organizations fall into that trap anyone that does improve or looks at like as you say the value of data or if i can improve my open rate by two percent or one percent even if i can't see sales down the line that is behavior that's non-standard to most emails that are sent i strongly believe that will make you better more successful to your words, because you're just trying to use some of the tools that most marketing people don't have time for. Mm. Not that they don't care, they just don't have the time for. I mean, that's a whole other problem. I'm interested to get your thoughts on, so we've talked quite a bit around open rates and click-through rates and the individual metrics. When we look at those in isolation, there's still only stats that look at perhaps a single email campaign. How do you approach measuring the success of an entire program so you know you're working with a client and you want to assess the overall success of their email program in 2018 what what would you do how do you, how do you and your business approach measuring that that's a good question so i think um without this being a slippery answer is it depends on the the business in terms of the market um, you'd, you'd like to think and hope, but I know from reality it's not always the case. You'd firstly look at what's the objective. So what is the why are we sending these emails? And again, as a quick tactical point, it's a really good audit for anyone listening in to say, okay, have you just inherited an email marketing program? Why are you sending these emails? Mm. If nobody in the business can tell you why, other than oh, well, somebody started it up in 1992 and it's just been doing it itself there might be a question around that. So firstly, if we want an objective, and let's say we haven't got an objective, then I think you can break it into a few uh, tiers. So first and foremost, those metrics that we've talked about, open, click, uh, unsubscribe. Sign up rate, we should, we should probably talk about. And actually, you made a really good point earlier about data and the value of data. There was a really interesting report um, published. It was admittedly a few years ago, but I think it will still be relevant. This was to the French consumer market, which effectively said, how much do you value your email address at? I.e., if you're going to give your email address to a company, what do you want back in return? 
Um, and that report said that the average French consumer said their email address was worth five euros. Now that's not they're expecting a crisp five euro note from everyone, but mm. it does make a really good point that if you want to gather data, and you're right, if you can build a database and assign a value per email address or a thousand email addresses, then you also need to think in this day and age particularly, how am I going to entice somebody to sign up? We get too much email, all of us. Nobody in 20 years has said to me, do you know what, Steve, I wish I got more email. <laughs> I'd love more email. So we're time poor. And, and take that further. If we're all too, getting too much email, if somebody signs up for you, uh, goes to your sign-up page, wherever it is, they're basically saying to themselves, in a world of too much email, right now, I'm keen to hear from this organisation. I mean, it's a big deal, is, actually. That yeah, is a real trigger. Yeah. Okay, and, and again, the technology to go back to that um, area. Problem with marketing is technology. Marketing people aren't technologists, but if you can be marketing-led, and it's you know technology supports marketing, it's win-win. And in that instance, if I do sign up to your email in a world of too much email, what am I getting back from you? Immediately, and again, online retailers not exclusively, but they're normally good at saying, Lily. Here's 10% off your first order. Thanks for signing up. It's immediate like that. Whereas many organizations have worked with, and again, back to the how we measure 2018, they've not seen the, the kind of journey of well, where are people signing up at the start? What's the value to the consumer or the business? Mm. Give them something of value and then act on it. So I think you, you take the metrics. And then I think on that, you might pile on top, if you look at it like a pyramid structure, marketing measures. So what's the email's contribution? Has it helped us to gather more data, i.e. we've sent a series of emails where people have registered more or signed up for things or, or given some more information. Or forms or yeah. absolutely preference centres. Um, is it the old favourite of have we sold anything? Uh, have we got leads or another kind of currency? And I think once you then feed email into uh, that from a kind of revenue point of view, that's all you need to do is the metrics from email, are they feeding into marketing measures? I think out of that, above that, from a pyramid structure comes the KPIs. Of all of those measures, here's the ones that the management really care about. Um, and the only change would be, well, are you trying to uh, make money, save money, or both? So back to my point for that um, uh, uh, sunglasses and um, eyewear company, heavily reliant on another channel, in that particular instance, direct mail, their real measure of success, not metrics, measure of success was, are we cutting the cost of direct mail and maintaining our revenue from the, the attributable yeah. activity. The other thing for those guys and a lot of others is suddenly they've got instant feedback loops. Because obviously with direct mail we do get response, but it's slow. Whereas with email, my goodness, this is, you know, immediately we know whether we've sent something good, bad or indifferent. Mm. So I think it varies um, depending on the organisation. But I think the key takeaway is, look, if you haven't, set your objective. What are you trying to do? And, and be healthy about it. If email can't, if you can't sit there and say email can do that better than another channel, don't use email. Yeah. Which yeah, is, yeah, you know, absolutely. Which is where you were positive about. Email isn't going to work. We, we always come, I mean, in email council, we have a lot of debates and Weatherspoons has come up time and time and time again. Yes, of course. Because they obviously made the decision to delete their entire database and never email anyone again. And I've thought about it a lot. I don't need an email to remind me to go to the pub. <laughs> I really don't. And and them sending an email isn't going to make me go to the pub just because they've sent me an email. So for them, why spend that money trying to get people to go to their 
pubs if they're going to go anyway like spend that money somewhere else spend it on the marketing within you know within their within I was about to say stores within their within their pubs like that makes sense to me and so yeah why not why, don't bother sending yeah. email yeah I, I, I guess I take a slightly different view on that with that Weatherspoons example is that you're right you don't necessarily need to be reminded to go into a pub but you might need to be reminded to go into a Weatherspoons pub compared to mm. a Mitchell's and Butler's pub or a Green King or another one so uh, I think there is still a value for Weatherspoons. It's a really interesting. It'd be great to talk to them to get the finite on why they did it. They've been very quiet about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. oh, there's lots of speculation, but they have done it. And, I, you know, are we as consumers complaining that there's less email in the world? No, because we get too much. Um, but have they missed a trick that perhaps back to that uh, technology now, the ability to use it for down the line? So rather than to remind Lily to come into the pub, is actually... Of course, Lily, you know, no aspersions on you or I, but you're right. We know where the pub is. We'll go to the pub when we want to the pub. But some people forget to go to the pub. And that kind of reminder of we haven't seen you for a while or the ability to make an email feel like it genuinely is for you. That's trigger message there. That could be an opportunity for them. We've got new menus. And I know that sounds trivial, but I've worked in that space with a fairly large rival to Weatherspoons, And they still see a bit like uh, online retailers send emails make money with these guys send emails see bookings mm. but the timing is critical it, interestingly um, and that's a nas- nationwide chain of of pubs and restaurants of which there are many brands um, talking to them they're open I said, when's most successful monday mornings when we get most opens of an email really yeah pre 9 a.m is this are they is it for bookings if they because well, no, the so then the follow-up question is but when do most people book restaurants with book tables at the restaurants thursday evening Okay, so you know what's the opportunity there rather than negative is okay Monday mornings we should we can use, but maybe we need emails on a Thursday afternoon as well or on a Wednesday afternoon. We can play with those data points, mm. and this is the other thing with measuring more broadly. Is if if again an, an analogy, if you're going to go on a journey, you have to know where you are to set your sat nav to take you to where you want to be. Yeah. So if we've got a measure that says Monday morning pre nine o'clock, I don't think anyone in that business knew why. But they at least had it and said, well, okay, there's our kind of hero. That's um, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, perhaps, we used to play pool in the, in the pub, back to the pub. And there was a game called Winner, uh, Winner Stays On, quite simply. Yeah. And I'm sure we've all done it, right? You play, you and I play pool. If I win, somebody else has to pay to defeat me. And I think that's an incredibly healthy discipline for marketing and email particularly. Is, right, you've got a metric. Monday morning before nine o'clock is the Winner Stays On. How do we beat that? Is it Tuesday afternoons? Is it Wednesday mornings? Is it Thursdays? Time of day. Our last email got a 30% open rate. That's what we've got to feed. How do we do that? That's a really helpful What set of culture. changes, tests do we need to yeah, run what to make that better? Exactly. Yeah. And, and how many times in a row can we do it? So what's your PB? Personal <laughs> best to do it. And then you go again. We, we, humans are quite good at gamifying mm. things and, and for competition sake to defeat one another in a healthy way hopefully but also we just want to better ourselves uh, again I, I really advocate that with people I teach is even if you can't tell whether this particular email is contributing to that sale down the line because of what we've talked about with the complexities of some markets how many times in a row can you send that same type of email and improve things or in, maintain your key measures of open and click perhaps yeah because in a market of uh, or in a world of more and more email because volumes are still going up it's fair to say if volumes of emails are going up responses are going to probably go down and therefore if you even maintain your response rates 
that's actually relatively beating the market. Mm. Coming back to the original question, which is how do we track the success or how do we measure the success of an entire email program? I guess what you're saying there is, you know, we need to be looking at those same metrics over a longer period of time and then comparing the relative results of that one campaign you ju- email campaign you just sent compared with the previous campaigns that were sent and what was different about this one campaign compared with the other so we're still looking at perhaps individual success but in comparison with perhaps your own averages yeah and your yeah, own yeah. trends well, it, uh, month yes. to month because that makes a massive difference or year on year if you can because yeah. you, you raise a really good point there as well is that yeah, me saying just try and maintain open rates over a, a shorter period of time. If we were again a, a retailer or a supermarket and it's November and we're sending out emails about Black Friday, we might see a big increase in open rates for those compared to perhaps the early November. We know the dreaded January that nobody has the money to, to buy anything. We, we don't drink alcohol. We don't have fun. There's no sun in the sky. Everything's <laughs> miserable in January. If you were looking at your December metrics compared to January, January probably doesn't fare well for a lot of markets. So, yeah, it's a really good point that either annually... Apart from travel, I heard January is a really good uh, yeah, month for travel because so that's where people are like, I am so depressed, I need to book my holiday for the year. Well, it, so in this country, in the UK, so again, having just worked... Uh, a client is in the travel is the largest travel agent in the world in the UK January is absolutely the month that makes or breaks summer holidays but in in that same organization in Belgium in Benelux that part of the world it's much later in the year it's May time really uh, yeah what's uh, what do they know what two what things one that? just from a point of view of an element of culture two it's a bit self-fulfilling that um, the systems of holiday sales don't allow for such a long window of, of buying. So in this part of the world, you can go out further. It's a strange anomaly. Also, interestingly, again, back to the value of email for that very well-known travel company, um, the German market, at least 90% of the German uh, holidaymakers will buy at that same time, but they'll buy in store. Um, I, do you know what I've heard that that yeah. like travel agents are still really big Very and really important part of the sales process in Germany and that, and that makes a really interesting question for where does email fit in because of course if you take the UK and German markets for holiday makers email is going to do a lot of the sale for the UK market if not all of it i.e. drive it to an online uh, a website where they buy mm. whereas email still is really important but it might come in pre-store visit and importantly after post-store visit and then how do you attribute that that email made that one person go to their local travel agent and then buy that or a series of emails Um, it depends on your back to the measurement and there's a great campaign um, from our friends at the DMA so the DMA awards I think it was 2017 but don't misquote me but DFS the the furniture the sofa people um, they won a best use of email marketing Uh, or a silver award for best use of email marketing and what they did it's very straightforward if you think about it is that the the user journey to buy a sofa is often online research go into store because I want to sit on that sofa before I buy it and check that I like it and it's going to you know best fit um, what I want from a visual point of view and then back online again um, to go and do a bit of price and comparison work and what they plugged in, which is very obvious, is to give the salespeople in store tablets with the ability to collect email addresses and say, Lily, look, have a look around. We've got way more choice on online than in store. But if I take your email address, 
I can send you immediately all of the details of the sofas you've been looking at, plus I can give you a really neat tool that allows you to look at how that sofa would look from a layout point of view um, or an augmented reality point of view in your living room. That's really that's You know, very really, obvious yeah, really when clever. you re retro it, but you need to understand, and back to that, how do we measure a whole year? It might not be measure what we're doing with email, it might be measure what we're not doing with email and where might it be a, a benefit to the business or the customer. And that is not rocket science from our friends at DFS, but it's bloody good insight to say, oh yeah, there's a critical point in the journey. Yeah. Email can be helpful. We've talked a bit about um, measuring the success of an entire program. And quite frequently, in fact, I'd say from pretty much every client I've ever worked with, I get the question of, oh, do you have benchmarks for my industry? And I'm always so loathed to provide benchmark data to clients. It's something that they push a lot. I'd like to get your thoughts on, on what, what are your opinions of, of email benchmarking? Okay, good. Uh, so it's similar, actually. And I think for everybody that I've you know, worked in, has been around, it is a very common question is, what's good? And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with the question, what are we any good? And therefore, unfortunately, the default is, well, let's look at benchmarks. Hmm. I don't think it's too sweeping a statement to say benchmarks are pointless, full stop. I think the ones that... and. There are a couple of email service providers, um, global ones, that still publish these wide industry averages. Um, to be honest, I, I, I think you'd avoid them like the plague, unless, and I've said this to students I've worked with over the years, to be honest, if you're backed into a corner by your boss and your bonus depends on showing a good performance, we'll find you an average that makes you look a superstar. If, if you're unable to find an average that makes you look good, then of course you'll explain to your boss in, in a solemn look and declare that, boss, come on, we all know benchmarks aren't worth the paper they're printed on. For example, we could line everyone in this office up against the wall, measure them and work out the average height of an email marketeer. What the hell does that mean to people that are higher, taller or, or shorter than that? So I think you need to be careful if you're just looking for numbers. If you go a well, bit, especially if your KPIs and your own performance and bonuses are dependent well, that's on my it, point. I think that's exactly. I mean, that if, is if that they do be, depend on it. Find one that makes you look like a hero. Get your bonus. Share it with us at the DMA. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Apart from the bribery act, we have to be careful. If if you're if you can't find a measure that looks good, or as I remember the point I made earlier, is that if a client that's got a, a welcome email that's sixty percent open rate versus a newsletter that's thirty percent. Arguably, that makes the welcome email team look better than the newsletter team. But they've got an entirely different job to do those emails at an entirely different stage. Um, I have seen examples where industry reports can be good. So I used to work for an email service provider and they were very big into the publishing sector and they actually worked with a, a subscription publishing company to get all of the publishers to put into a pot, uh, an anonymised pot, their data to work out a publisher's a uh, UK publisher's average. That was helpful because it meant it was much closer to home rather than being across many the, industries. Yeah, so wide sweeping some of these generalised so. ones. I mean, even if you say retail, yeah, what is that? Even mean? within retail, I mean, that that means nothing in in the grand scheme. Very of much things. so. So I, I think you know, be careful. There's that. Uh, there's lies. There's damn lies, and there's statistics. We can find a percentage that will tell us the right game. Much healthier is to come much closer to home to say, right, and, and back to our discussion from earlier around things like winner stays on. If you've got a particular program you start or you inherit an email program, 
uh, let's say it's newsletters or it's triggered messages or it's campaigns or it's offers or nurture programs, whatever it is, focus on the key metrics for that and the metrics being the opens and the clicks and then the business measures and try and look to improve those over time. Mm. Uh, and remember, you know, sweat the 1%. That aggregated marginal gain, if you can improve 1% for open rate, it may not show immediately, but it is going to be helping somewhere down the line. Yeah, it's it, that long tail approach to the way in which you do marketing. By law of averages, you improve your open rate. In theory, you will eventually improve your click-through rate and so on and so or, or forth. Or even if you don't, if, if the, if the click-through rate doesn't change, if the conversion rate doesn't change, but the open rate goes up by a higher percent, for anybody, that's more people that start the process more people relatively have to come through the end so it's it's only a good thing yeah i think that's really important to when you especially when you're looking at the trends is you know you need to have a measure in your mind especially if you're doing it quickly if you're like is this successful or not Mm -hmm. and those benchmarks if you have none if you have no measure of is this good or not those generalized benchmarks can be helpful in that basis i agree yeah the better way, like you say, is to find your own averages, your own benchmarks for the different types of campaigns that you're running, and then run those benchmarks and do your comparisons. Is this good against my own data? So the, the organisation I work with uh, works primarily within the professional services sector, and we do a very similar thing in that we benchmark anonymously our different firms. So we provide benchmarks for instance, for the top 100 law firms in the US. So it's very specific for that particular sector. So our clients can access a report within our platform. If they're in the top 100 law firms, they can do a comparison with the top 100 law firms. And it provides much more a much more complete analysis in terms of benchmarks because you're looking at such a small subsection of <laughs> of the industry but like we but just... a relevant section of the industry precisely yeah, I think that's a really good point and it's um, it, it, it leads on to probably the, the other most common question I've been asked over the years of doing email marketing particularly on the teaching or um, talking front is when's the best time to send email <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah. I for without and I might be a, giving away my bluff now but I've spent over a decade when I've asked publicly this question just without hesitation to say Tuesday afternoon with utterly nothing to back up Tuesday afternoon other than maybe I can convince the world to send on Tuesday afternoon and we can all send on a Tuesday morning and we'll make all the money and then Tuesday afternoon will be a terrible time to send email Tuesday afternoon is the thing that always pops into my mind maybe I've heard you speak way back when and it's like ingrained in my mind I, I created the myth uh, who knows? But uh, the, the, the point is that, and back to that industry benchmarks, I, I saw some really useful research from a company called The Financial Brand about the finance sector, and that was benchmarking just that sector on days of the week to send emails. And really interestingly, and this is, uh, I think was B2B data, again with business to business, there's this crippling fear of sending emails on a Monday and a Friday, this urban myth of, oh, no one, you can't send on a Monday or a Friday. The data from that particular uh, particular organisation for that industry, finance sector, said Mondays were by far and away the most successful time for email metrics, opens and clicks, compared to Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. And Fridays weren't bad either. Now, I think that might be an element of there has been a fear of sending uh, bookended to the weekend for a long time. Mm. So if you do send, you're competing with less in the inboxes. Nobody on this podcast should listen in and scribble that down and go, right, let's do Mondays and Fridays. 
that's your point, Lily, is that for that particular sector, that's quite useful data. Hmm. But easily we could find another sector. I've worked with utilities companies, gas and electricity companies, where uh, for B2B, Saturday mornings are a really good time to send emails to SMEs, to small businesses. Why? Because Monday to Friday they're too busy doing their job. You know, the person that runs the laundrette is not sitting in front of a computer or a desk or on a phone too much. Saturday mornings work. So you can always find um, varying degrees of help, I think, depending on the metric you go for. I think it's worth just, for those that are perhaps new to the industry and, and are not familiar with how these benchmarks work and, and why Steve and I are so against them, is that they take... Uh, so if I look at the averages of the one company, so Steve mentions that um, he has one client that has a 50% open rate on the welcome email. And 60%. 60%, sorry. 60% on the welcome email and half of that on the newsletter emails. You know, that average there... Or, you know, halves the the, the correct. The you suddenly success. have an average of forty-five. Exactly. So that's just for one company, and then you multiply that by the averages of another hundred thousand companies within the same sector, and all of a sudden you're looking at some really skewed data. So I've seen companies where for them an open rate of ten percent is amazing, and on the flip side, I've seen companies where an open rate of eighty percent is expected and normal. So. When we're talking about the fallacy of benchmarking, it's that the averages of averages of averages doesn't necessarily lend itself to a good interpretation of data. And also, often with these benchmarks, is we don't know what the overall statistical number is and what they've made those assumptions on. So the methodologies can be questions in some ways. And, and, you know, data, you can't really lie with data, but you can. Yeah, you can paint nice pictures with it. Uh, You make a good point, actually, on that percentages as well, because we've been quite, as most organisations are with email, focused on the external audience. But some of us listening in on this may well be responsible for employee communications. Mm. And actually, you'd expect, I mean, if a 10% open rate, you're right, Lily, I've I've worked with organisations where people uh, getting a 10% open rate, relatively for them, is brilliant. Yeah. But if, if I'm in charge of internal comms for my staff and I'm getting a 10% open rate, I'm probably, you know, not quite working as hard. So that's where you've got to be really careful with averages. Mm. Um, or indeed, as we say, if your bonus depends on it, tell us, email us at the DMA. We'll find you a metric that makes you a superstar. Yeah. Probably. Well, in all fairness, I've, I, I have... And I've proven the point with a client where I, I made a, played around with their data a little bit and I got them to 100% open rate. By reducing the database to one person? Uh, no, actually, <laughs> I just didn't send to the people that hadn't opened before. Yeah. And, uh, I, and it was a very small number, and I just sent... That's a really good point around the difference between percentages and absolute values as well, because back to that point I made around the financial brand report that talked about when to send emails um, for the financial sector, it also measured um, how many emails were sent per year and what impact that had. And they had banded ranges. Uh, so the lowest band was at companies that were sending 25 to 50 emails a year. The highest was 1,000 plus emails a year. So that organisation in that collective, 1,000 emails going from that organisation out to their database. Mm-hmm. And you'd instinctively think, and if you look at the open rate as a percentage, the much lower part, 25 to 50 cents per year, was something like 35% open rate. The 1,000 emails was 19% open rate. Now, if you looked at just open rate, 
35 versus 19 is a clear winner. However, in absolute terms, nine, I'd much rather take 19% of 1,000 cents than 35% of 50 cents. It's a much bigger pot of people. Because then, you're, then we're talking, and we haven't touched upon this yet, is open reach. Yes. So, you know, open reach, for those not familiar with it, is looking at not the open rate of one email, but it is looking at, of the number of emails that you send, how many people overall engage with your emails so it's looking more around it um, around it from the the customers and the clients point of view rather than looking at it from the email point of view and the email metrics and when you're looking at it like that what you might end up with is a hundred thousand people having opened compared with fifty thousand people having opened it and i'd rather engage with like you say with a hundred thousand people than fifty thousand overall throughout that period of time it's a really good point and it's um it actually leads on, particularly with open rate. The other thing um, that can be buried in these metrics, and this is, as I said earlier, I'm a big fan of unsubscribe rate. It's a much neglected, useful measure of email marketing. The other one that's buried away often, and most email systems report on this, or you can get the data out quite easily if it's not a, a default report, is how many times has your email been opened or who's been opening your email multiple times. Uh, and many of you may have experienced this where you are looking at an email report and it seems that a set of people have opened your email 15, 20 times or clicked on it 30, mm. 40 times. Now, with the exception of it being your mum or my mum that's really proud of seeing your email, the data is probably indicating that people are forwarding on the email. Mm. Um, and that's uh, time and time again can be a really useful little subset of people in your database. So these people might be skewing your open reach, as you've talked about, but there are a subset of people that are influencers. Uh, and as you may know, all email systems measure opens and clicks in a fairly rudimentary way. So if I send an email to Lily now, and Lily opens it and then forwards it on to 15 colleagues and they all open that email, that will record 16 opens against Lily's account. Well, that says to me, if you're a consumer brand, Lily's got reach to people that I want to talk to. Yeah. Same with the B2B brand. All right. Now, with consumers, you might do some kind of member get member offer for Lily or a promotion, tell your friends about us. With business to business, if you've got a very small, tight list, particularly if you're doing things like ABM, account-based marketing, and they're forwarding on to colleagues in that business, it doesn't hurt to tell the account manager to pick up the phone to Lily and say, hey Lily, are there others in the business that might know about us? And, yeah. and if you're a, an organization that sells, particularly around things like software, where the person that signs the account or the check for your software or is the main uh, customer may not be the user of the system and they may receive your emails about how to make the most of your piece of software or service but they're forwarding it on so there are nice little clues buried in data that can be really useful measures on top they yeah. skew a key metric a bit your opens but there's much greater depth and value to it yeah you mentioned at the at the start of the podcast about delivery rates and that was something that you wanted to to talk a bit about so you, what was it in particular around the delivery rates that that you yeah well i think it's the fallacy of the delivery rate um so this is again a very small point perhaps but if you're not aware uh, most uh, if not all email marketing systems measure the delivered or the delivery rate that you'll see in your system uh in the same way um, and what it purports to be is um, I've sent 100 emails and you've got a 98% or a 97% or a 99% delivered rate, delivery rate, which I'm sure will resonate with many of you. In reality, that is not a delivered rate. That is a gone but not come back rate. 
and that's 100 emails were sent by that system. Let's say two of them bounced because they're hard bounces, they're email addresses that don't work anymore. That leaves 98 that the system that's sent, your email system, doesn't know what happened to them and is just assuming on your behalf they've gone into inbox. Um, and there's another podcast in this series that talks more about deliverability from our esteemed friend, another Steve on the council that can go into this and to why. But be aware of this because a lot of marketers aren't familiar with the fact that actually because of things like spam filters and because of sender reputation and that uh, art of deliverability, some of your emails may not be getting in but you're not getting the feedback loop on it. And mm. therefore, if you're using delivered rate as a metric or a key measure for you, which you, you should do perhaps, just be aware of the fact it may not truly be telling you um, the, the, the real picture of quite how many people are seeing your message. Yeah, and I think this is also really important when we're looking at um, the, the different ESPs that you may use. It, there is no standard, unfortunately. And so different ESPs will measure those bounces in different ways, will display them, will do thresholds and suppress them in different ways. And so you may go from one provider to another and see some very big differences in those delivery rates. Uh, and I think it's actually quite an important gauge for quality of data. So things like soft bounces in particular, does have an indication of, of data quality. If you are effectively cleaning your list and you are managing those bounces, then you should see a higher quality of, of your data overall. Yeah, that's a very good point, is we've talked about metrics and that's perhaps another set of sub-measures is what's the, the hygiene of my database. If I'm seeing hard bounces as well as soft bounces uh, in there, not just that key measure of how many you've got into inbox, but yeah, what's the kind of lifeblood. Um, HubSpot, the marketing automation company, reckon uh, in broad general benchmark terms that the average database will decline by about 25% every year. Yeah. And that's quite simply 25% of people that have moved jobs or no longer go to their Hotmail account or whatever they were using. So you know that's another useful measure back to the value of data is if you assume that you're going to be losing a percentage of data every year, firstly you want activity that's helping bring in new registrations, so how do we test and optimise sign-up rates, um, particularly in a post-GDPR world where buying data, which perhaps none of us on the council would thoroughly have recommended anyway, is certainly something that's very, very, very difficult to do now. So you've got to grow your list. And then when it's in there, how do we maintain it because we might lose people because they've just naturally fallen away, they've changed jobs, they've moved emails providers, uh, email inbox providers. Yeah, absolutely. Why is it that marketers perhaps don't track effectively or perhaps don't, don't really understand what they're seeing when they're assessing their data? You know, I've been in situations where companies have, have the data, but they can't interpret the data. They, they don't know what it is that they're looking at. And maybe if they did know what they were looking at, they wouldn't know what to do in order to improve it or whatever it might be. In your experience, why, why do you think that might be the case? Oh, it's a, it's a really interesting point and I think a really important one um, because uh, for me there are two uh, fuels of, of good marketing, good email marketing, good any marketing, and that's content and data. You need something to say and you need the data and the understanding to make sure what you're gonna say is relevant and it's gonna get to them. And, and in email terms that means Data isn't just Lily's email address and her name and her 
uh, salutation. It's what else can we have and understand about Lily from a behavioural point of view or a transactional point of view. Um, I think the simple answer is most marketing people, a bit like the technology thing we talked about, marketeers are marketeers. They're not technologists, purely, um, and they're not necessarily data-centric people. Um, we can be a bit fearful of it. It's a bit complicated. It's a bit logical and marketing people were much more creative often so I think that's the first challenge I think there's a, an education piece and, and I've been through this my own journey so I've worked uh, client side and agency side and the first agency I worked in was a merge of a data and digital um, proposition and I was part of the digital team and I had to work with these data people and I didn't understand these data people <laughs> um, but I jolly well learned to because what I realized very quickly is my goodness everything I've ever done in marketing is all about the data so I think there's firstly you need a you need to have a bit of a, a desire and a passion to understand data and again this is not trying to collect fields of data in a database as much as broaden what data means and the point we just made about delivery rates that's data, that's a really interesting data point that says, hmm, there are people opening my emails and forwarding it on. They are influencers, they're sharing, and, and email's probably the original sharing tool in, in digital marketing terms, although social media is more popular for it. Mm. That's an interesting data point. Um, if you broaden that and, and you can get, I think, people marketing mo people motivated by data and insights, if you can give it some context. You know, when is the best time to send an email for you? Did you know that on a Saturday afternoon people open emails? Did you know that if you've never sent emails that Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics or whatever system you've got on your website will tell you when's the most popular two hours, one hour, two days of your website on any given day in any given week? You can start to use data to then help uh, merge the art of what we do. There comes the science piece, and you know the best students understand both of those disciplines. So I think it's about seeing data, not to fear data, and to think it's a bit, you know, odd and geeky and a bit buried away in dusty old filing cabinet somewhere. It is about incredible value that for me, as I've learned as a digital marketer predominantly, if I can start to understand the data, I suddenly am more successful with it. Mm. Um, I think that's the problem. How do we solve the problem? I don't know. I think it's simplifying things. So as we've tried to do with metrics today, which are data points, is rather than just being numbers, is to say, well, how do they, how do you colour them in for the business? Look at an open rate relatively. Maybe look at it in absolute terms. Don't worry if your benchmarked data says you're behind your competitors. You still may be doing better than them. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about how to measure, what to measure, and we've discussed benchmarking and the difference in uh, each of those areas. I guess what I would like to kind of just for, for the last part of this, this uh, episode is to talk about potentially how to improve some of those metrics. How do we improve what we have understood as being success measures, what is it that, that we as marketers need to need to, to do for for improving our, our metrics? Okay, good point. So we, we know where we are. How do we improve where we we're trying to go to? Um, I, the beauty of of most digital marketing, particularly email, is we have testing tools at our disposal. Um, whether you have an email marketing system, use an ESP to use the acronym uh, that you pay a lot of money for, or no money at all. Can pretty much guarantee Lily and I that there are testing tools built into that system which is great 
The other thing to remember is, point we made earlier, most marketeers, when you talk to them and survey them, don't do much testing because we don't have time uh, or energy or it's not our objective. So this is a really positive thing. If you can do a few tests and if you test nothing now and you add some tests in, you're beating the market. Most marketers don't test enough. Um, the two key points for me with testing with email, because actually there's a lot you can test. So to run off into testing, very easy to do. But before you start doing that, firstly, just think about it from a point of view of stri strategic. Um, sit down, think about your email program that you want to test and think, what is it strategically that this email does? So let's say it's an event booking email to get people to sign up to an event uh, or it's an e-commerce type email. Well then, if you've got a strategy which is I'd like to improve the conversion rate um, or the booking rate or the download rate, whatever it might be that's your action from that campaign, set that and then work backwards to work out the tactical tests you can do. Okay, Sounds simple but in reality most people that test will just go, let's test subject lines. Why? Because it's easy. And there's nothing wrong with testing subject lines, it probably will be one of those things. But if you're ever challenged by somebody else up in the business, across in the business, to say, what's the value of your testing? You can say, well, all the tests we do align to this business or this strategic objective. Second point um, is to think of testing as a culture. It's not a project. Um, and because the tools are there and with a little bit of thought, and if you use my much talked about on this podcast winner stays on mentality which is every time you do something see if you can improve it a bit see if you can beat the status quo um, it becomes a culture really quickly if you just have a month where we're going to test things in March and then drop it it's never going to work is it no trends change and because there's seasonality for some of you that um, we talked about January if you were an alcohol brand or a pub and a restaurant January is a tough times to do business compared to maybe December so if you test and learn in mm. December, it may not be useful for January. So instead of trying to boil the ocean, think about simple tests that help with a strategic goal. And actually, you can do every time. Mm. And that's where I think you know the easy, low-hanging fruit often are things like subject line tests. The from name, who's it from? Does it stand out in the inbox? The timing of the email, all the way through to the content. Don't forget the point I mentioned earlier from um, the report that Marketing Sherpa did that says the landing page is often one of the most effective tests of an email marketing program because it recognises that beyond the click comes the value of the business. Hmm. So I think we'll, we'll never run out of things to test. That's hmm. not a problem. It's thinking about testing in the right order and every time you'll learn something really interesting that gives you, breeds that culture of testing. I think we're going to we're definitely going to do a, a podcast on testing and we'll talk more about the different types of tests. I think with the the experience uh, that I've had, one of the main areas when when it comes to testing is to focus on one metric at a time. So don't try and test opens and clicks and unsubscribes within the same set of tests, but also don't be afraid to test because what is the worst that's going to happen is that your open click through rates are going to remain where they are. What's the best that's going to happen? Is it going to get better? Well, or and, not. Or you well, yeah, something. actually, yeah, they might, they might not get I'll give you an example, actually, of a client that very much this was they wanted to test uh, copy length in an email. And they said to me, well, we've tried this, we've tested um, our normal emails for a newsletter are, let's say, four paragraphs or five paragraphs. We've cut it down to half that amount of copy and measured the click-through rate. And Steve 
the click-through rate didn't change. It was exactly the same. So the test that they'd anchored to didn't prove. But when you step back from it, as we did, and said, well, hold on a minute, what else have you learned? You've learned that if you reduce your copywriting effort by half, you still get the same click-through performance. So it's improving efficiency as Indeed, well. exactly. And I think that's my learning with testing, is you, there is no silver bullet. No one out there that's going to sell you the perfect subject line or the perfect timing. It is a constant testing game. And I'm probably misquoting Thomas Edison, but I'm sure he said something along the lines of, every time he failed, it was just a step closer to success. It's a door that you go, okay, that's not right, let's try something else. And the other thing is, back to that example, if you've got your eyes open for a test, you suddenly learn things you didn't realise you were going to learn, mm. but that just helps you continue. And that's why I think it's a culture thing. Every time, let's just try something, you're right, one test at a time, one variable, because you can't track what it is that you've changed. Mm. And because of that, that means that the youngest person listening to this podcast, whenever you're listening to it, you're going to be dead and buried before you run out of things to test. There's so many things you can test with email. It's about putting it in the right order, doing it in a systematic way, as we said. And just remember, link it back to something that's got some business gain rather than just your email gain as well. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, that's all we have time for for this episode. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email, email at dma.org.uk. That's email at dma.org.uk. This podcast is currently only available on SoundCloud, but we are looking at hosting it on a wider range of podcast services. Um, please do rate, review and subscribe and share this podcast with your fellow email geeks. If you liked it, please do share it. I'd like to thank my co-host for today, Steve, for this episode. And thanks to everybody at the DMA for helping to make this podcast happen. I've been your host, Lily Boeth, and this has been My Dog Ate My Email.